that uh, wanted to announce, uh, like it was announced earlier, Lost Chappelle's are traveling, that being uh, Cody and Erica. And uh, Cody was wanting something just to be announced at uh, the beginning of the lesson so everybody could hear it. Um, so um, I'm pretty much just going to read straight from the text exactly what Cody said. Um, he was just really sending a reminder about there being a young person's class that is starting on the first Sunday in August. And so that will be, I think, before uh, the Bible study. Uh, Cody will be here, and whoever else is, is here and willing will be doing a class specifically geared for those who are. Uh, middle school, high school aged, um, really, and also on the uh, first Saturday um, of the month, uh, Cody also wants to start a men's study at his house, and that's going to really start happening on August 3rd, so all that's going to start happening when they get back. And we're also putting together a uh, board in the back, kind of in the lobby, of uh, kind of just headshots and pictures of those who are part of the membership here. So once they get back, they're also going to be start doing that as well. So we just wanted that to be announced as heads up. And just keep that in mind for some classes and, and some really, really good things they want. Uh, Cody and Eric are trying to get started here. Um, and just uh, continue to keep them in mind as they are traveling. Um, it's always an encouraging and an awesome thing to be able to present a lesson from God's Word before um, the group here and, and really before God's people anywhere, but it's also rightfully so a fearful thing to do. And so with that said, I just hope what's presented here this morning is, is good and it is helpful. Uh, this is a lesson I've been thinking a lot about for a long time, kind of in a whole series of just ideas and thoughts and lessons dealing with how to be pleasing to God and uh, with having busy lives and in a busy culture, a culture that's constantly uh, pushing us with uh, jobs and families and very, very good things. How do we pursue and keep a mind of being fully pleasing to God while we have so many things that are going on? Um, and so this morning, I uh, really just want to speak about the grace of God here this morning. Um, and there's something that I've observed, and uh, maybe you've observed it um, as well, things I've seen within myself and seen within others, uh, sometimes we can look at specific brethren, uh, brethren who we find extremely impressive, very, very impressive. People who have gone to uh, certain schools, have maybe certain accolades, um, type of people who are always, seems like they're always constantly involved in a Bible study. Seems like everywhere they turn, everything they do, there's constantly people responding to the gospel, constantly because of their work and efforts, uh, people who are obeying the gospel. Um, or those who just seem like they know a lot of things in God's Word, that have a, a vast knowledge of God's Word, that are always to have a, just a really awesome, amazing point that just kind of blows your mind, or if anybody has a question, they're able to answer that. And any sort of problem or issue, they're able to dissolve it. They're just very kind, they're just very humble, just very, very giving. Um, and we can find that to be extremely impressive, and I think rightfully so. Those things are very good attributes and attitudes to have, but then while we look at this person or have maybe this standard of our mind of what somebody who's really impressive to God looks like, we can then, in the next thought, think, well, you know, that's really not me. And then we can begin to, unfortunately, discourage ourselves by having this made-up, arbitrary, fake standard of what God truthfully really finds pleasing. And we can try to hold ourselves to that and just cause all sorts of damage and wreak all sorts of havoc with our faith, um, and even maybe in the faith of others. And so one of the things I want to tackle this morning in the lesson is just understanding that's not true. There is no certain perfect person that God finds really pleasing. The only person we find that to be Jesus himself, and none of us are able to fully attain to that. So there is no amount of works, there is no school, there is no things that we can get ourselves involved with that God finds ultimately pleasing, and if you fall below that, uh, then you're really, God really finds no pleasure in you, has, you have really no value to him. I want to explore that and see that, how that idea is. It's really false, and that's not true. 
And the second thing uh, I want to focus on this morning is um, turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and starting in verse 11. So Titus chapter 2 and we'll start reading in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So second thing um, I just want to focus on, and the second thing I want to hopefully accomplish this morning is just how if we focus ourselves and meditate ourselves upon God's grace, we can glorify God wherever we are, whoever we are, how busy or how free we are in our lives. We can glorify God no matter what. We really just focus in faith and meditate upon his grace. And so that's really the, the, the aim, kind of the title of the lesson. It's just growing in the grace of God, what Peter kind of ends his second letter to the brethren he wrote to. Uh, that's kind of the last thing he tells them, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So that's what we focus on, growing in the grace of God here this morning. And so uh, what I want most of the lesson to be is really just going through several different passages that speaks about the grace of God. Um, and that's really where the majority of the lesson is going to be here this morning. But the first thing I want to tackle and kind of just get out of the way is that God takes no pleasure in works and knowledge in of themselves. But what God really takes pleasure in is faith and love. And I think most of us are or should at least be familiar with uh, passages like 1 Corinthians 8.1, the idea that knowledge edifies, or knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Uh, you look at Ephesians 3.19 as well, the idea that the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. And then we have chapters like 1 Corinthians 13, a, a chapter where Paul in the kind of train of thought is speaking about what is the greatest gift. And you get to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and he says the greatest gift is love, how nothing has any value if it doesn't have love attached to it. Um, so we see that, that, that God is wanting us to pursue no, uh, love, not knowledge and, and amassing all sorts of things. Uh, we also see, uh, if you turn to Matthew chapter 7, this idea that God also really t- doesn't take pleasure in works in of themselves. Uh, that there's, mu- there's something more than to just doing a bunch of things that seem good. And we see that in Matthew chapter 7, and starting in verse 21, uh, where Jesus is speaking uh, to the crowds there. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Uh, so we see these, these men who are doing these things coming up to Jesus, uh, quite impressive resume that they have. I mean, they've cast out demons, they're performing uh, miracles, it seems like this idea that they're, they're prophesying in his name, they're speaking to people about Jesus, and yet, in this same whole scenario, Jesus says he never knew them. They were, pra- they were practitioners of lawlessness. So the idea so that works itself obviously wasn't enough to impress Jesus there, because they were at the maximum. There was obviously something more uh, that Jesus was looking for from uh, from these people. And uh, you turn to Romans uh, chapter 9 as well. If you look at Romans chapter 9 and towards the end of that chapter, 
Uh, Look at verse 30 of Romans chapter 9, this idea that Paul is speaking about the Jews and, and why could they have never ever, why do they always fail? to serve God fully. And, he, and it's amazing the conclusion that Paul comes to. So in Romans chapter 9, uh, verse 30, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So you see what Paul says, what was the Jews' problem the whole time? They pursued the law on the basis of the law. They never saw the law as something that helped them get to God, helped them to know God. They were trying to impress God by works and doing things and accomplishing things and amassing a massive resume. And we see where that really led them. Uh, Nowhere. It led them to being reprobate. It led them to being distant from God. And while the Gentiles, who had no law, were able to pursue God because they pursued him on the basis of faith. Um, so we're finding that, that, that works in of themselves. Knowledge, just knowing lots of things, God takes no pleasure in those things of themselves. But what we've seen is love and faith is what God truthfully enjoys, that he desires for us to grow and to develop in. And so... Um, and I wanted this to be just a very, very uh, short point and to kind of just get this out of the way because really the focus, again, is, is going to be on where we're going to spend most of our time in point two, speaking about the grace of God. But there's just one more passage I want to look at in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, this is a passage that I just recently have been thinking uh, lots about. has been extremely encouraging uh, to me recently. I think is a verse that is extremely important, I think, for the group here. That I think is for... Anybody or, or everybody who feels this sense of the fact that they cannot be pleasing to God because they're not person X, Y, Z. And we've got a lot of people who have uh, families here, young families, people actively having children, trying to raise them in the Lord. And that is a God, uh, that is a God glorifying and a wonderful, amazing thing. Uh, but sometimes we can feel as if, well, you know, my free time goes to this over here. I don't have so much free time. And then I'll think about all these people who are doing all these amazing things. And that's really what I need to be doing to be pleasing to God. And Paul pops that bubble and destroys that very, very that thought and idea very, very quickly in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has, any been, has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. For what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you were able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. To me, I, I find this to just be a uh, just mind-blowingly, just fascinating and encouraging passage just to read. Of course, he's talking about the context of marriage, and so he's diverting a little bit from this idea that if someone is married and uh, they're not Christians and one becomes a Christian, it's not this idea you need to divorce them. You need, you need to stay in that condition. You can be actually extremely helpful in that condition. And so he starts what we just read from 1724, this idea that... Uh, we shouldn't necessarily be pursuing 
other positions, other, other places, other walks of life, just on the sake of seeing someone else doing it. And that's what he tells them there. God redeemed you exactly where you're at. God knew what it takes, not just to get you to be able to believe, to be baptized, to be saved, but also to keep you while you're continuing in that, that situation. And he, but he doesn't also say the idea, well, you know, you need to just stay exactly where you're at, not at all. That's what he tells the slaves. If you're able to be free, go ahead, be free. Pursue those things which are best. But don't get inside of our minds this idea that there's a better position that would be more glorifying to God um, because someone else is in that position. Um, what he's saying here is the fact that you need to stay in the condition which you are at. Um, and I think that's the thing is it can be hard and, and, and very difficult when we see people who may have a lot of free time, who may have the ability to be involved in so many different Bible studies, uh, the ability to, to, to visit and to see and to um, teach the gospel to so many people think, well, wow, that's what I need to be doing. God redeemed you where you're at to be glorifying where you were at. Um, and the thing is, also, God just needs people everywhere. He needs people in all works of life. He needs people who are students. He needs people who work in the hospitals. He needs people who work in the schools. He needs people who work in whatever job or occupation that you have just to be servants of his where you are at. He does not need everybody uh, walking around trying to find people with Bible studies, walking around uh, spending time in their own houses, inviting people in their houses. Those are good things to do. But he needs us just to be where we are at, uh, trying to serve from wherever we're at, doing what we possibly can, being, motivi- being motivated by faith, um, just simply living in faith. And I don't have to do what, what Bob, Joe, and Shirley is doing. I don't have to do what the members over there are doing. God can help me wherever I'm at to pursue what is best for him, that glorifies him the most in whatever walk I'm in. I think the thing is, is especially for those who are members here and visitors, or members wherever you guys are at, you have a unique and irreplaceable role in the work that is vital, that if you were missing, that if you were not there, it would not be the same at all. That's exactly what Paul continues on later on in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 uh, to tell us. We look at passages in Ephesians 4 by which every joint supplies. The idea that each person, if they've determined to just walk by faith, to live by faith, we can be pleasing to God and help and edify and grow the body wherever we are, whoever we are. And this applies if you're a member of a place. There's so much of the New Testament, so many commands, so much love and humility and servitude that gets wiped away and gets moved out of the way if we're not willing to commit to the work of one another, to be members of a local body and a group, and to invest in that work. So, point number two. Just the idea of beholding the grace of God, and really the point of this is I want to go to a couple different passages to make just a few points, uh, read some places. Really with the idea of just flooding our minds with just lofty, amazing, grand thoughts of what God accomplished in our salvation, the love that God has for us, and the willingness for God to go as far as he possibly needs to keep us safe and sound, encouraged and secure, um, and comforted within faith. Um, so let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Um, there will be uh, three passages we're going to look at, and we'll start out with Colossians chapter 1. So Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 14. Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, 
just in all the world, also is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bring fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all the steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's writing to the Colossians, which from uh, just the reading that we had and just a little bit as you read throughout the book, understanding, uh, get the understanding that this is a, a younger group, a newer group, um, that have just recently obeyed the gospel. Um, and so he's trying to help these Colossians to really just comprehend their salvation, to comprehend more of what God, what Christ accomplished in them being saved. And that's really so much of what our faith is. Um, so much of our faith is just comprehending more and more exactly what God did do in that moment of the cross, what God did do in that confession that we made, what God did do in that moment of baptism, what he was able to perform. And chapter 2 of Colossians deals a lot more with that as well. Um, I think one of the interesting things here is, is he's telling them they've already received salvation, I think obviously. But I think they needed to really hold on to that, to really understand that in a visceral way. Uh, a lot of times we can have this idea that we may be baptized, but you know, uh, and we understand that means we're saved, that means we're clean before God, that means heaven's secured for us. But over time, for some reason, we can maybe think that, well, now we've got to earn heaven. Now we've got to do all these things, do all these works, perform all these things to make sure we're still really pleasing to God, make sure that we're doing enough things to where he really, really enjoys that so that we can make it to heaven. So it's almost we put this idea back in our mind that we, we don't have that secured for us. And that's exactly the opposite of what Paul tells the Colossians here. He tells them your hope has been placed within heaven in verse 5. You get chapter 3, he tells them that your life is hidden within Christ. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. We're fighting with the cross already accomplished. You look at chapter 2, and one of the things that Paul says is that Christ through the cross made everything look like a joke. The powers, the principalities, Satan himself, like an utter joke that we should fear them no longer. So that's the thing. So much of our faith is not uh, working and accomplishing so many things so we can get to heaven. It's just understanding how God is so good enough to already have heaven secured for us. How that is a promise. It should bring us comfort. Um, it's not this idea that we need to work for it. <laughs> Christ is the one who's already worked for it. Um, and so the Colossians needed to understand that. They needed to understand that on that comfort, on that basis, on that foundation of heaven already being secured for them. Um, and I think that's, that's also the same for us. So much of the world, so much sometimes my own ideas, so much of little things we may um, ignorantly say to one another kind of push this idea that we need to be working so, so, so very, very hard to earn heaven when it's already been earned for us and we're just fighting and we're, we are motivated off of faith in the basis of those promises being given to us. It's because God's given us heaven already that I want to work for him. It's because God's already secured my life within Christ. He's already hidden it within his son that I want to work and I can extend myself as much as I need to to labor in his, in his kingdom. Um, so, if you guys would also turn to, this might seem obscure and weird at first, but Ezekiel chapter 16. Um, this is uh, probably one of my favorite passages um, in all of scripture. 
and I won't say much more until after we read it, but it's just amazing and beautiful picture of how God views uh, a covenantal relationship, how God views his relationship and his role towards those that he makes a covenant with, those he makes promises to. Um, it's, of course, written to Israel of old. This is written about specifically really here Judah as well. Um, so let's read uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Then the, Lord, the Lord, uh, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of, uh, from the, land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No, I looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants of the fields. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Verse 8. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at, at, and you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of uh, porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. That you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of a fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Um, and it's really hard to make points after reading a passage like that. Um, just, again, it just kind of blows my mind how God is. This, of course, being Jerusalem, this being uh, Judah here, how God is willing to make such sacrifices. He's willing to be patient, to support, to supply, to serve um, this kind of this infant child, this, this person that nobody loved. This, this, this person that was, there was no redeemable qualities to them. And we see, all we see God doing really in this, this, from verses 1 through 14 is just constantly giving. We just see him constantly helping, constantly saving, constantly serving. This, this, this child. So they grow up, and then once they grow up, he's back at it again. He's cleaning them, he's washing them, he's, he's adorning them with oil, he's making this, this, this individual, this woman, how he's envisioning Jerusalem here. He's making them beautiful, he's adorning them with all things, giving them such things. Everything they are is completely because of God's goodness, because of God's grace. And it's just amazing the fact that God loves to do that, that God wants to do that. Nobody told God to do that. Nobody came along and said, hey, look, there's this child. Maybe you should help them out. God, out of his own initiative, God making sacrifices on his own part, wasting his own resources to redeem. And this is the way he views uh, a covenantal relationship. And as beautiful as this passage is, again, it's written to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's given to uh, the nation of Judah, the southern tribe, the southern kingdom. And what's amazing is the fact that as beautiful as this is, what God accomplished in Christ Jesus exceeds it to a level I can't even describe. And then I want to look at Romans chapter 8 and just see how God does the exact same thing for us. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 8. 
And it's just fascinating, amazing how God was willing uh, to do whatever it took and to go just so very, very far to establish and to edify and to grow up this individual as Jerusalem and Judah. And I, and I just want to show, show you and just see and explore together how God went so even much farther than that for us. So Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined uh, to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with them freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death, all day long, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, uh, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The thing is what Israel failed to do. If you continue reading on that passage and Ezekiel 16, God will then describe all the things that Israel did and how he, they completely just shattered and broke his heart because of their idolatry. So what Israel failed to do in Ezekiel chapter 16 was to just be captivated, uh, similar to how God was captivated with them. And I think that's, that's where our faith should lead us. That's where motivating, uh, motivating mo- uh, meditating upon the grace of God should lead us as well just to be captivated what God's done with us, what God has done for us, what God's accomplished within us, what God was choosing. Again, when he's speaking here, especially in verses 29 through 30, what God was willing to do before anything was set up, before the world was anything. When he means predestined, he means he foreknew, he understood, and he planned it all beforehand. Any of us disobeyed him. He already had a plan in place. And he already chose to not just justify, but also glorify us through that plan. And then as you move on, through um, uh, Romans chapter 8, you move down to especially verses 31 to 32. uh, It's just amazing the assurance and the comfort and just the stability that that Paul is trying to bring to the brethren there. If God is for us, who is against us, that means no one can really be against us. Uh, And you look at verse 32 as well. And this this is one of, uh, again, just one of my favorite passages, and it just blows my mind um, every time I read this. Not only in verse 32 did God not spare his own son. Did not hold him back from the cross. And us knowing and understanding the life of Jesus, he actually made the cross extremely difficult, made it harder, uh, made it as hard as possible so that Christ would be perfected and that salvation would be perfected for us. But not only just that, willing to sacrifice his own son, not willing to spare him for our sakes, but you look at the end of verse 32, how will he not also with him freely give us all things for God to continue to use Jesus Christ? to continue to pull him, to push him, to spread him, so that we can continue to be freely given all things. I don't have words. I don't. 
It's just amazing that God loves us so much. That he's willing to extend himself. He considers his son, loved his son for a moment less than us so that we could have life. It's just hard to understand. And that's the goal of our faith, to just continually try our hardest to understand how God could be so good. Um, and continue on with verses 31 through 39. It's just amazing, again, the, the, just the confidence that Paul was able to have in God's love for him and the confidence that he was trying to teach the Romans to have in God's love for them as well. And that God is willing, has done, will do, um, is currently doing whatever it is necessary to prove his love for us and to us. And he's extending himself as much as he can on his part. And so the thing for me is like, why do I doubt? Why do, why do we doubt? Why do we ever doubt God's love for us? He's done everything he possibly could. He's gone as far as he possibly needs to go to prove it to us. What it shows is it's not a lack on God's part. It's not a lack on brother so-and-so's part who we find really, really impressive. It's a lack on our part. The reality is we just don't understand his grace enough. And what the encouragement is, it's not to stay in that condition, to grow out of it, to comprehend God's grace. To read passages like this, like Romans 8. To read passages like we read earlier in Colossians 1, Ezekiel 16. Look at just Jesus' life in general and the love and how he was willing to sacrifice himself even in the moment before the cross for the sakes of the sinners who were around him. That's what our faith really is, just understanding that grace. And so that's the last point. Um, and just to spend just a, a few more minutes and just um, really just to look at a couple more things. Um, how do we apply this grace of God? How do we truthfully really, really grow in the grace of God? Because it's nice, it's good to read these passages, it's good to be motivated by these passages. But how do we make sure that that, that feeling that we have, that encouragement that we have, these things that we're learning, really, really stick? How do I grow in that grace? Um, And brethren, it's really simple. It is crazy how God has made it so easy for us to just continually grow. Um, Look at Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 is a really, really good passage. Um, I don't really care about that. Um, Colossians 3.17 is a uh, common passage and a good passage to go speaking about, of course, uh, the authority of God and, and, and everything that we, we need to do and to perform needs to be done uh, on the basis of Jesus' name, meaning I have authority to do so from the Lord himself. Uh, but also with verse 17 of Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Then another thing, while also this is one of the key pa- passages goes to speaking about authority, how we need authority for everything we do from Jesus and from God himself. Um, but I think one of the things also with this passage is we just need to be motivated by Jesus and his lordship and who he is and allow that to motivate us, allow that to move us. And so there's two things. Um, if you're struggling to understand God's grace, or you just want to understand God's grace more, uh, there's two things that you can do that are very much within everybody, every single person who's here, very much within your ability to do. Very easy, very simple to do. Uh, there's two things. To read scripture and to pray with a purpose and a goal. To read with a purpose and to pray with a purpose. A lot of times, again, we can see brother or sister so-and-so who may know lots of things, have lots of knowledge, have a very good understanding from... Genesis, the revelation of what the Bible says, 
uh, and then we can think, well, you know, I need to just I need to read my Bible more. That's that's a that's a good that's a right that's that's a conclusion to come to. Uh, but we'll just start reading somewhere randomly, or think, well, uh, I need to read here, I need to read there. I'll start all the way at the beginning, and I just need to I just need to read because I need to read. Um, and I think that's where a lot of times problems come with not being able to finish. If you set up a Bible study plan for you're not being able to finish it, you don't have a goal in mind. Have a goal. Have a have a purpose when you choose to read. It could be just as simply as I love God's word. I want to know more about it. I love God's word. And I just I just love reading it. I don't want to read more of it. That's fine. It's a good purpose. Maybe with the lesson this morning, I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to read more about Scripture that deals with that. I think if we we put goals, we put purpose, something we want to accomplish when we read, not just reading because we know it's something good to do. It's amazing how that how will, that will change. Uh, how much we read as well. The thing is, and, and for that to be done also with prayer. Sometimes, again, we see people pray beautiful prayers. Brethren here, just, just heartfelt prayers that come from such a deep, uh, just humble place within, when, within their hearts. And we think, well, I need to pray more. Good, right. That's a good conclusion. Again, you, need, you do need to pray more. We all need to pray more. Uh, pray without ceasing. We can never pray too much. Uh, but the thing is, well, I just need to pray. And then someone will start just praying, and they don't know what to say. I think the thing, again, is just have a goal, have a purpose. I want to just thank God for who he is. I want to pray on brother, sister, so-and-so's behalf because they're dealing with this issue this year. Have a goal. Pray for a reason. Pray for a purpose. I think that's the thing is if we can read with a goal in mind, read with just wanting to grow, reading and praying for for the sake of others grow, for ourselves to grow, um, that's going to help us to build our confidence in God's grace and my salvation, our salvation. Um, the thing is, if you can only read, also, we can, you, there's people who can read for hours at a time, and that's, that's fine, it's good. I think God's word should captivate us like that. But if you're just starting out, you have trouble reading. If you can only read or pray for five minutes, five dedicated minutes where you're just very, very focused, may God bless those five minutes. And if you meditate on what you read, if you just keep reading the same thing over and over again, and just focus on it, meditate on it, just think about it as you go throughout your day. Pray even in your mind as you go throughout your day. I promise you, you'll get to a point where you can't read for just five minutes. You have to do way more than that. Um, and again it's, not, again, it's not about how much we read either. Are we learning about who our Lord is? Are we growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the point of our faith. So uh, that's the lesson here this morning. I thank you for, uh, again, the opportunity um, to be able to speak about these things. And I hope it's just really helpful. God's grace should just captivate us and just... Leave us utterly speechless, really. It's amazing to think a God so good has chosen to specifically focus on me, has just specifically chosen to focus on you, to focus on us, and especially also the work that is going on here as well. Um, if there's any needs of those who are here, uh, maybe there's uh, prayer requests, uh, maybe there's a need for just coming forward and confessing something, um, Maybe there's a need for finally wanting to obey the call of the gospel, to respond to that, to commit yourself through faith, through faith um, and baptism uh, to the Lord and to walk in the newness of life, to have these promises which we read, which are read, are given exclusively to those who are of faith. And the ability is, it's, it's so freely, it's such a free access to be able to know who God is and to serve him. If there's any sort of needs of anyone who is here this morning, do not delay one more minute. Uh, please join us as we stand and sing a song of invitation this morning.